Um, as you know, we've been working our way through uh, the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, and we've been seeing what he has to say to us in terms of how to live well. How do we live as a Christian? What does it mean to live out uh, what we believe? And this morning we're going to uh, dive in a little bit deeper into something that James very helpfully uh, opened up for us this morning in his contribution. Thank you, James. My first point this morning is how many times through his letters Paul mentions the term in Christ. So, uh, James, you've kicked off my first point. Thank you so much. It's actually very reassuring as a speaker when that happens. It doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's very reassuring to know that you are hearing from God. Um, So if you'd like to turn, please, actually, to 2 Corinthians, Uh, we're going to look at another of Paul's letters this morning. It's a bit of a bonus, because obviously we've dealt with some of these themes already, but we're going to dive back into the theme of being a new creation. What does it mean to be in Christ? And most clearly, we see that in 2 Corinthians and chapter 5. So let's just read that verse Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. I'll read it and then we'll ask for God's help as we look into it. If anyone is in Christ, the new has come, the old has gone. You are a new creation. What does it say? I've got a different version here. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You might have a slightly different version. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for these incredible truths that we can read in front of us on a page. We pray, Lord God, that that's not where they would stay. We pray, Lord God, for the truth to set us free. Lord, we know that you said when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And Lord, I pray for a gathering this morning, a community of free people, people who know what it is to enjoy the freedom That was intended when you made human beings, Lord, free to know God, free to be full of your Holy Spirit, free to dwell in the presence of the Almighty, free to fulfill the things that you call us and ask us to do on the earth. Father, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation or a new creature. It is a fundamental thing that God has done for us. I think sometimes we can feel that uh, when we come to faith that we've made a bit of a decision, and that's not that that isn't true, but it's so much more than that that's happened to us when we come to believing in Jesus. Some of you this morning might be in the position where you're still not sure whether you believe and want to follow Jesus yet, and this message can help you, I hope, to cross the line of faith, to enter into a relationship with a living God that will change everything that you've ever understood or known. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creature, a new creation. A very fundamental thing, the most fundamental thing possible has happened to you. And as James mentioned, I alluded to, uh, Paul talks about it and he uses this phrase, in Christ. He uses that phrase again and again and again. What he's doing is he's massaging into his hearers and into us this morning that this is incredibly important, that you as a believer, when you said to Jesus, yes, it's your way, not my way, when you said to Jesus, I want to follow you for the rest of my life, come forgive my sins, when you did that, you entered into this position of being in Christ. 
God did something in you by the Holy Spirit. Something spiritual happened in that moment. For some, it can be very dramatic. The Apostle Paul himself, of course, on the road to Damascus, had this incredible vision of the risen Lord. And he heard an audible voice. And something incredible happened. He knew that something had changed. And for some of you, it, would, it was a bit like that. Maybe you didn't hear an audible voice or see a light. But for you, it was like scales or something fell from your eyes. Ah, oh, I see, now I see. And so people use those kind of terms. I was blind and then I could see. I, I didn't understand anything about God and now I do. And that's what it means or begins to understand the understanding of what it means to be in Christ. That you see things from a perspective of a risen Jesus of a God that cares passionately for you and a God who's interested in being part of your life and you being part of his life. It's what it means to be in Christ. And so Paul uses that phrase again and again. We want to look at just one aspect of that this morning, that of being a new creature, a new creation. You have a new ancestry. You started again. You began when you followed Jesus. The question of who am I is a question that you may or may not have asked yourself. It's a question that many millions do in our culture today. Many people ask the question, who am I? A huge industry has grown up around this question. I would suggest that it's not a very successful industry because if it was, there'd be one book wouldn't they? Think about it. There'd be one book. You read the book. Oh, okay, get it now. And that would be it. And the fact that there are many books that are published asking the question, who am I? Who am I? Is kind of a bit of a hint. It's not a question that has an easy answer. It's not a question. In fact, if, if the industry answered the question, it would be game over, wouldn't it? You wouldn't buy any more books. So just be aware of that next time you pick up a book that claims to tell you everything you need to know about yourself, because it's a con, I'm afraid. It just makes you buy more books, uh, which maybe is a good thing. I don't know. It depends if you're the author or not, I guess. There's a, re- a recent TV show, and there's one that comes back and forth, you may be aware of, um, called Who Do You Think You Are? Has anyone seen that? Who Do You Think You Are? Where uh, the, the kind of presenter uh, brings in a celebrity or maybe, uh, maybe a less well-known person and asks that question, who do you think you are? And they look through the ancestry of this person. They go through the archives And they find out as much as they can about where this person has come from with the idea of answering the question, who am I? And a few years ago, Amelia Fox, who is famous from uh, the Silent Witness programs. If you've enjoyed that, Cheryl and I really like watching Silent Witness. If you do, then you'll know who she is. And she was eight months pregnant at the time she did the show. And she was very interested in, in her own history. And one thing she said was the best thing she thought she could do for her unborn baby was to answer the question, who are you? To help this baby understand where they'd come from. Now that's all fine as far as it goes, Unless you find out that you're an answer, your answer is just Genghis Khan or an axe murderer, in which case you're sunk, aren't you? If, if actually the truth is that you are locked into your own future by your own history or DNA, as it were, then that might be fantastic news. It might just be the worst news ever. And you might spend the rest of your life trying to get away from it. That's true for some. But people, and maybe you're one of these, are looking for that sense of meaning. What is it? What is it that drives me? What could be the foundation for my life? 
And Paul, as we've started by saying, is giving us an answer for those of us who are believers. The fundamental truth for you as a believer is this, that you are in Christ, that you belong to him, that through repentance and faith, you've come to the point of saying, yes, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. And that means that you are in Christ. And Paul goes on to talk a bit more about what that means. And he says this, you are blessed in the heavenly realms, this is in, one, in Ephesians 1, you are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. That's, that's quite comprehensive. Every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. Verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1, we read that a few weeks ago. This is the beginnings of what it means to be in Christ. It's, a, it's worth just pausing for breath at that point. <clears throat> Maybe I need to pause for something else, but to pause for breath, although Paul doesn't, and we said when we read this passage before that Paul spills out sentence after sentence extolling the wonders of Christ and what he's done for us because he is so overwhelmed and overawed, and he wants the Ephesians and therefore us to, to be that way too, which is why we get excited when we sing some of the truths we sang this morning, because this is exciting. It's wonderful that God has included you in his plans for the cosmos, that he's included you in to the extent that he says, like, you're part of the family. You're not just a hired hand. You're not just someone on the sideline. You're, you're not just, well, yeah, okay, maybe, yeah, we'll have them too. No, you are in In what? In Christ himself, the beloved son, loved like a beloved son, front of the queue, head just like Jesus is front of the queue because you are in Christ. A few months ago, I was just praying and I felt God say to me, you're praying as if you don't think I want to answer you. And I think lots of Christians live their Christian life a bit like that. We come to God as if God was somehow reluctant to answer us, somehow reluctant to kind of be on our side, as if somehow we'd have to, if we really, really twist his arm, maybe he'll do something for us. And for some reason, maybe it's to do with our culture, who knows? Maybe it's to do with how we've been taught over the years, that many Christians labor through life with that understanding. I'm sure many of you in the room I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure many of you think something along those lines. Well, yeah, if I really, you know, I better clean my act up a bit, and maybe then, maybe if I pray hard, maybe if I even fast a lot, maybe then, maybe God would consider answering my prayer. And actually, that's not what it means to be in Christ. To be in Christ is to be the precious one, the beloved, the much cared for, the much sought out to be in Christ. God is predisposed to listen and answer. Why? How do we know that? Because he gave us Jesus to prove his point. If he gave us Jesus, how would he not give us everything else? The most precious thing in the whole cosmos he offers as a demonstration of what love is. I've got two sons. I wouldn't give them up for anyone. I wouldn't. I have a daughter too. I wouldn't give her up for that matter. <laughs> but God had a son, a precious beloved. Of all the promises were caught up in him and he gave him to you and gave him for you. 
And he says, not just that. Not, and then it's not just, well, okay, I've done enough now. No, he says, now come. Be part of the plan. Be part of the family. Be in. Be in Christ. And that's what he does. And so when we come to him, as, as we come to pray to him, as, we, as you do that daily, I hope, come with an expectation that he's predisposed. He's shown his love for you beyond all doubt. There, there can be no doubt. There could be no, there's no loopholes left. He's given you Jesus. He's given you his own dear and beloved son. So Paul starts by saying, he's saying you're already in a position of blessing. You're already there. You're all, you're, yeah, you're already, he's already answered. He's already answered you with salvation by filling you with his spirit. And if that's not true of you, that can be easily done. It can be easily done. It's something that God wants for you, to be full of his Holy Spirit, to love, to know that you're loved. It was a lovely older gentleman discipled me as a young man, a guy called Henry Tyler that some of you might have heard of. And he said the tragedy for some Christians is they never experience the embrace of God. It's always kind of cold facts for some. It's always words on a page. It's always at arm's length. And what God does by the Holy Spirit, is he sheds abroad the love of God in your heart. It's it's emotional, it's a feeling, it's an embrace. It's like an embrace from heaven, and to know God that way is a very precious thing, and that is the birthright of us who love the Lord. And maybe that's something we can pray about if that's not been your experience up to this point as we finish our meeting later on today. But knowing that will also add faith to our prayers. Knowing that he's predisposed to love us, to be in Christ, to be a new creature, is to be predisposed to answer us. And that will add faith to us. God wants us to pray things and ask things that are beyond our experience, beyond where we might feel comfortable. We might think, well, how could that ever be? And as we pray and continue to pray for the blessing of this city, and cities like this around the world, we need to pray prayers that are way beyond our, our kind of immediate expectation, that hundreds would come to faith, that many would know the blessing of God because we turn to him in prayer. Paul talks a little bit more about what it means to be a new creature in Romans and chapter 6. So I'll just read this short passage and make a couple of thoughts and then Uh, Then we'll finish this morning, or I'll finish at least. In Romans 6, start at verse 5. If you have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, so the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil uh, desires. Do not offer any of the parts of, your, of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life 
and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. So what it means to be a new creature, to be a new creation, Paul is describing it here, to be in Christ. He's describing what it means. And he says that the body ruled by sin has been done away with. When you come to the cross of Christ, as you come and asking for salvation, you're coming to a cross for a reason. You're coming to say, I want, I want to be included in this. I recognize that the only hope for me is what you have done for me, Jesus, on the cross. And God says, yes, I will take away the broken life that you're offering. I will replace it with my perfect one. And that happens at the foot of the cross for us. And that body that you had, that you were born with, is governed, he says, is ruled by sin. And you might think, well, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? Well, yes, it may be, but it's also the truth. We talked about that the other week. Recognizing that we're born into sin. We didn't have to teach our children how to sin. I didn't, there's no manual teaching your kids to annoy each other. You don't need to do that. Have you, have you noticed that as a parent? It's not something you spend a lot of time doing. It's not part of the, you know, it's not part of the sort of how to be a good family booklet that you get. Do you get those when you have babies? You don't get any kind of, no, you don't get a manual, do you? Just send you home with a baby and you have to get on with it. <laughs> but you don't have to teach them to be, my mum said of me that I could make my sister cry before I could walk, which I don't know what you make of that, except, my goodness, I needed forgiveness from someone, mainly from my sister, but actually also from God. But how do we deal with that? I don't know if you've watched the Olympics, if you've watched the curling in the Olympics. It's a bit like kind of bowling on ice, isn't it? And, uh, and they twist the, the, the stone. What's it called? A stone, isn't it? The curling stone. I don't know if you've been mesmerized like this, like I have been. And they give it a twist and it kind of, it, you think it's going straight, but actually they've very slightly twisted it and somehow it goes off in a direction. They do that funny thing with the brooms or whatever they are. What I really like actually is that one of their feet is slippy and one's sticky. And that just must be such fun to get around the ice. Sorry, uh, that's got nothing to do with this. But it's like, it's like bowling on ice. And if you've done bowling, like, you know, not 10-pin bowling, but bowls bowling, you'll know that the, the bowls have a, a bias. And however hard you throw them, and uh, you can throw them pretty hard, eventually they'll turn off to one side or another. And actually the Bible talks about our sinful nature like that, that however hard you might try, eventually you find yourself drawn into sinful behavior. And the Bible says that sinful behavior actually is, is it's, it's not surprised because it's your nature. It's the nature of a bowling ball to turn to the side of its bias. And it's the nature of humans to turn towards sinfulness. And how do we deal with it? Well, a death has to happen. And it's either yours or Jesus' death. And Jesus says, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it for you. And through his death, that body of sin was done away with. And he says, I'll give you my life in place for your death. He rose to life. And it says it's done away with. That bias can be removed in your spirit, in your inner person. And instead that you become a slave of sin, you become rather a slave of righteousness. It says that in verse 18. Someone was 
speaking about this passage and said that he'd seen a, a poster in the States that said this, a Christian is just one sinner telling another sinner where to find bread. And the speaker said, that is rubbish. That is not what a Christian is. Uh, your, the fundamental truth about who you are is not just, just a miserable sinner hoping somehow to find a bit of bread, a bit of food, a bit of sustenance. No, that is not what it means to be a new creature, a new creation. That is not what Paul spends a long time trying to describe. He says, no, you're not just a, a miserable sinner and well, well done for noticing. He says, no, you are a new creation. God lives in you. You've become part of something that is beyond your wildest imagination. The creator God is with you and in you and you in him. Not a miserable sinner. Where's the good news in that? Where's the, where's the, why is that good news to tell someone that? The gospel is good news. It's good news. Not a slave to sin. Not a wretched sinner hoping maybe somehow that God will forgive you. No, you are righteous with his righteousness. A slave even to righteousness. A bias towards God. A bias towards goodness. And you find that at work within you. You find that work within you is another draw. Now, a draw towards him, a draw towards holiness and goodness, a draw towards love for others, love for a city that might not have been there in the same way before. And that has an outworking, and we're able to rejoice in that, and actually we need to work at it too. And the reasoning Paul gives is this. He says, look, if, if you died, then you don't sin anymore. The dead people don't sin. Have you, have you noticed that about dead people? They're not tempted. You, a dead person in the room, you could hold a million pounds up to them. You know, there's no envy at all, is there? It's just nothing. He who has died has been freed from sin. It, it had to happen. Death had to happen to be freed from sin. And so it has in Christ. And then Paul goes on to say, actually, that's the beginning. It's the beginning of something. And now he says... Consider yourselves dead to sin. You need to reckon it so. It's actually happened. It's a real thing. You're a new creature, a new creation. Now reckon it so. And part of what we do when we come together is, is that reckoning. We sing. We, we gather around God's word. We meet in groups and persuade each other and encourage each other that it's true. Because we need to consider ourselves, to reckon ourselves dead to sin. Because still within us, there is, there are, there is still within us something that, maybe it's our, our body, maybe it's the, our, our mind, maybe it's the enemy himself who draws to draw us back into ways of thinking and believing that we are very used to before we knew God. Think of it a bit like this. When we, if you've ever moved house uh, and then stayed at the same job and you've hopped in your car at the end of the day on, and you're kind of on autopilot, and you know where you're going to, you know what I'm going to say, you kind of head back to the old place, don't you? And you oh, God, I don't live there anymore. Why? Well, I need, to, I need to remember that. And after, it can even be weeks later, you're just on autopilot, you're just heading home, and, oh, I don't live here. Oh, I, need to, I, need to, I need to reckon on where I live is what I need to do. Paul is saying it's like that when you become a Christian. I need, now I've changed the, my address has changed. I, I'm, I'm a new creature, I'm a new creature. Now I need to remind myself that it's true because I keep ending up heading back. Or if I'm not careful, I end up heading back to the old place. 
And some of us struggle with that. Some of you today are struggling like that. You, you keep heading back to the old place, and your worry is, oh, has anything changed? Is it real? Am I really his? Am I really in Christ? Is this really true? And Paul says, yes, and he gives you provision for thinking it, saying you've got it, you're supposed to reckon it. You're supposed to remind yourself of the truth of what he's done. We do have an enemy that if he can't, he can't steal you, but he can make you miserable if you're not careful. And the best way is by bringing that sense of condemnation, which is what he does. That's, that's what he does. Condemns believers day and night. And in order to combat him, we reckon on what God has done. We remind ourselves and each other of what he has done. John Bunyan wrote this, and he is comparing someone who uh, might believe that essentially they're a sinner. We said about maybe a Christian is thinking that, oh, I'm just a sinner, and hopefully maybe God cares for me, to someone who really understands what God has done for them. And he wrote this, Run, John, run, the law demands but gives me neither legs nor arms. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. There is a, a way that the enemy would have you bogged down and tied up, headed back to your old address, believing that none of it's really true. And John Bunyan knew it well. And he said, what's the answer? What's the solution? It's to remind myself to reckon on the gospel of Jesus again. You are a new creature, a new creation, something new on the planet, something different. Now, we might wake up this morning. I woke up this morning. I didn't feel like a new creature or a new creation. I felt like a very old one, and I felt the weakness of my frame, and our frames are weak, but I have a wonderful Savior who has won me, whose righteousness I trust in because I don't have any of my own. Let's not pretend that we do. You know you don't. I know I don't. I, I don't have any righteousness of my own, but I have all of his. And so do you. That's what it means to be in Christ, a new creation, something brand new, perfect, clean, not sullied by all the things that rush into your head when you worry about whether you're righteousness or, righteous or not. It's his righteousness. It's his Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither legs nor arms. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. As members, people of this church, we are called to reach this city, to really fly with the gospel, to serve people who are disadvantaged, to love everybody, to hold out the word of life. It's going to take everything that all of us have, everything that we have, all our energy, all our collective wisdom, everything we have to organize ourselves, the faith that God gives us. We need to fly, brothers and sisters, with the gospel. We need to believe and understand, to reckon on the fact that you, if you've come to Jesus through repentance and faith, are in Christ. You're a new creature a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come.